Hi guys, hi ladies. It's incredible. If you read through the Bible even half-heartedly and only pay slight attention, every single biblical hero is called to do what they have been called to do. It just seems to be the way that God continually works in people's lives is by calling them away from what's comfortable into the unknown. <clears throat> I was thinking about the author of Hebrews talking about Abraham. He went not knowing where he was going. But what's amazing is if you look at the other side of the story, God has major plans for each of those individuals where they went. Awesome. So that's enough of a sermon right there. You guys just go with that. So a couple of announcements just to let you know what's going on. Um, just kind of the power of the church, a group of individuals coming together in order to love on one another and seek God. <clears throat> in your bulletin, there's two different things that I wanted to highlight. First one is 21 days, 21 intentional days. You mind if I see that real quick, Darcy, the one on your right hand? 21 intentional days. So if you want to get the best out of anything, you have to intentionally pursue that. Whether that's a hobby, whether that's the shape of your body, whether that's a relationship, right? It requires you to intentionally pursue it. The same is true with your relationship with God. We are saved by grace and grace alone. However, if you want to experience the goodness, like the true goodness of God, it requires you to be intentional about what you do to seek him out. We're doing this corporately starting September 8th coming together in this pursuit. And it's obviously something that we all should be doing on our own, but when we do it corporately, collectively, it's just more of an incentive for each of us to figure out how we want to do this. And the best route to approach it is to pray and ask the Spirit, all right, how do you want me to handle the next 21 days? I want to make you my priority. What should that look like? You know, it could be prayer, it could be fasting, it could be adding things to your life. Take some time and really think through that. How does God want you to pursue him over those 21 days? We will have prayer down here every morning, Monday through Friday, 6.30 to 7 o'clock. Um, we'll also have a couple worship nights um, just to enter into it together. So if you've got questions about that, uh, just obviously let me know. I've done it a few different times and kind of figured some things out um, on how to approach it. The second thing I wanted to highlight uh, is on Wednesday, starting in September 11th, we're going to be having classes up at the main campus, and we're going to be looking at the life of Abraham in an inductive method. Inductive means that you come to the Bible to figure out what the Bible says, not to bring what you think to the Bible. Does that make sense? And so we're just going to walk through mostly small groups, a little lecture, and we're going to study Genesis 12 through 22 one of the most foundational pieces of the entire Bible. It shows you who God is and who we need to be to be part of his family. So that starts on September 11th. Darcy will be there. Anybody else? Wait. All right, so let's pray. If nothing else, just a chance to kind of focus our minds in on why we're here. God, the God of the Bible, the God that created everything we believe, that you are real or at least we're interested in that pursuit. And so we come to this location at this time in order to make you our priority. Spirit, work in our minds. Give us something to walk away with, thinking about, and change our lives if that's possible in this moment. But if nothing else, give us something to ponder uh, that allows us to have a better life than we have right now. Thanks for being real. Amen.
So we're coming to the end of like a six-week, six-month series when we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. As Jesus ends his sermon, it seems like he's bringing his disciples to the crux of his message. Someday you will appear before the one who made you. Where do you stand with him? As his child whom he will openly usher into his kingdom or as a stranger whom he will dismiss? You know, I believe that Jesus may have started his final thought back in chapter 7, verse 7. He stated that if you come to your Father in heaven and ask him for something, he will give you what you need. Ben looked at this last week. And it's very easy to see those verses pointing to God as the provider of all that we need, which is the case. But if you continue to listen to Jesus, you begin to get a better idea of what he's referring to. So if we, let's look at Matthew seven thirteen and 14. That's the verses that we're kind of honing in on tonight. Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction. And there are many who take it. For the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life. And there are few who find it. The 12 verses that follow that we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks are even more explicit on the issue of the consequences of our choices in this life on the eternity that will follow. Now, it's nice. Luke, another author of the Bible, gives us the same message but with more detail. Luke thirteen twenty-two through 30. Jesus went through one town and village after another, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved? He said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able. When once the owner of the house has got up and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and knock at that door saying, Lord, open to us, then in reply he will say to you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I do not know where you come from. Go away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourself thrown out. Then people will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and will eat in the kingdom of God. Indeed, some who are last will be first and some who are first will be last. Are you feeling the weight of this like I am? This is an intense section of the Bible. Now, before we talk about the choices that lie before every person, I want to first lay the framework of the infinite and the finite. The Bible makes it so clear that humanity is eternal. Genesis 127. God said so. I guess the author said, So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, we weren't made in God's image as in physically, right? He's a spirit. And so part of this, it can mean other things, but part of this is that we have an eternal component, our spirit or our soul. In the same way that God is eternal, so are we. At the very end, it talks about it all throughout the Bible, but at the very end, we see kind of what that looks like. Then I saw a great white throne and the one who sat on it. The earth and the heaven fled from his presence, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. So the eternal component of humanity, even after the body has died, still exists. 
And you and I are unlike any other part of creation. Everything else that God made has a truly finite existence. Mountains last for millions of years, and flies live for 15 to 25 days. Regardless of the length of their life, there is an end. But for humanity, even though our physical bodies will crumble, our spirit or our soul will not. Now, I know this is not really fitting into the philosophy of the day, but I want to give you a different philosophical, potentially logical thought. Does getting your basic needs met cause you to be completely satisfied? Enough food, enough drink, shelter, the fact that you're surrounded by people that you love and that love you. Does this allow you to know and feel that everything is right in your world and nothing needs to be added to it? I think if we went through, everybody would say no. Because very few people, if any, are ever completely satisfied. If we do reach that place of nirvana, it only lasts for a moment. Now here's the logic. If we were created for this world, Shouldn't this world have the ability to set our minds and hearts at total ease? Or even more so, if humanity has evolved over the past millions of years, don't you think that we should have fully adapted to contentment because of what this world can offer? If we were formed by this world, shouldn't this world be able to satisfy You look at every other form of creation, and they are content when they're given their most basic needs, when their instinctual needs are met. But people always long and desire more. I hope you guys are following this. This is because we are eternal beings. Deep within us is a constant desire for more because we are made for more that only the infinite can satisfy. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 3.11, he, speaking about God, has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also put eternity into man's heart. But we are also finite. Our infinite spirit is contained in a temporary body which someday will die. It may be tonight or it may be in 50 years. But it is indisputable that unless Jesus returns, every single one of us will physically die. Now, this isn't necessarily fun to think about. Often people run from thoughts like this, which I can understand that. However, this is a foundational truth of this life. It will come to an end. This is interesting. We are both infinite and finite. Even though the infinity and the temporary are on completely opposite ends of the spectrum, because they are both part of who you are, they should have direct influences on each other. That's what I'm going to look at tonight. The way that the finite should influence the infinite and the way that the infinite should influence the finite. Now, I hope you guys like the Bible because I'm about to run you through 10 minutes of the entire Bible. There's a handout with a lot of verses on it, because I'm going to be cruising through them. But my hope is that it kind of, something within that picks your interest and you want to go deeper. If you need some, we can get more for you. But according to the Bible, the finite directly plays into our infinite. 
The choices we make during our limited time on earth have direct impact on the eternity that waits for us. If it seems as if it seems that this is what Jesus is presenting to his disciples as we finish up his sermon from the mountain. So let's look one more time before we get into the whole Bible at Jesus' statement. Matthew seven thirteen. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction, and there are many who take it. For the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Now, if we view these verses from the, an eternal perspective, we see the overarching story of the entire Bible. So here it goes. We were created by a perfect God. The moment that mankind chose to rebel against our creator's design, we lost our perfection. We are all born imperfect. Our culture doesn't believe so, but the Bible states that we are born imperfect. Selfishness is deep within us from such an early stage. If you don't believe me, go hang out with the toddlers right now. Because we are not fully what God designed us to be, we don't have the ability to be in his presence. If someone that is imperfect is in the direct presence of an all-powerful and perfect being, they will be consumed by his holiness. Let's look at a couple verses. Exodus and Hebrews. This is God speaking to Moses on the mountaintop. Moses asked to see him, but he said, You cannot see my face, for no one shall see me and live. And then in Hebrews, talking about the imperfect humanity, and he ends it with, For indeed, our God is a consuming fire. God's pure and undefiled nature destroys what is not in line with his standards. Now, if this truth is what defines God and his actions, then the Bible would have ended halfway through Genesis 3, and no humanity would have continued on. But our creator's most defining attribute seems to be love. 1 John 4. So we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. Because of this, God set into motion a plan to redeem his broken creation, which climaxed with Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus, who is God's son, part of the Trinity, came in order to die a sacrificial death for imperfect humanity. He willingly allowed himself to be put to death as a substitution for mankind. Philippians 2. Talking about Jesus, who, though as in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Through this substitutionary death, every man and woman now has a chance to be fully forgiven of their rebellion against their creator. Hebrews 7. For it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, talking about Jesus, holy, blameless, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priest, he has no need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. This he did once for all when he offered himself. Notice that phrase, once for all, every sin. Out of Jesus' sacrifice, we have the ability to be made perfect. Hebrews 10. 
For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Now think about this story. If we are perfect, what does that mean we are allowed to do? Be around a perfect God. So out of this state of perfection, we now can operate out of our original design to live and breathe in the presence of our maker. This is why certain people will spend eternity with God, who is a source of all life. Revelation 21. Look at that, Genesis to Revelation. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. In God's presence, we will experience total contentment because that is how we were made to live. But this is not guaranteed for everyone. And I once heard a musician, he was playing at a, a venue that we were at, and he was, had some God-based lyrics, and he said, you know, I believe that we're all sitting at a train station. And whatever car you get on, it may be different. You may be Buddhist, I may be Christian, you may be Islam, but we're all going to end at the same spot. But according to the Bible, that's not the case. Another key piece is that mankind was given free will, the ability to choose. At the foundation of our free will is a choice of whom we are going to trust to bring us life. Our creator, the one that made us and everything around us, or ourselves. This is the same choice that Adam and Eve had. And they chose to trust their own logic, their own emotions, and their own capabilities, which caused the world to be broken. In Matthew 7, Jesus is pointing out this same choice to his disciples. He's saying that if they want life beyond their finite existence, they must enter through the narrow gate. Now, the word enter is highlighting the choice or action required. To enter something means somebody must do it. Narrow is pointing out that there are not a lot of options to this path that leads to life. Really, there's only one. Romans 10.9 makes it clear. Whoever, but if you confess with your lips that the Lord Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Really specific what leads to salvation. You guys remember the author Rob Bell? He was a pastor, wrote a book called Love Wins. And he was right. But God's love only wins for those who recognize their own brokenness and their need to be saved. For those who understand that they are lost and can do nothing to bring about the deeper change that they want to happen, and so they call out to Jesus. They declare that they are broken and can only be made whole by the one who made them. They surrender their control over their lives, and they choose to trust the almighty maker of heaven and earth to bring them what they need. Life. But as Jesus says, the road is hard that leads to life, and there are few who find it. It is because it requires humility. It requires one to say that they are not the pinnacle of reality. Rather, that they are part of the problem. It's a little bit difficult to hear if you're used to hearing more humanist-style preaching. 
The road to life requires a person to declare that they cannot work or earn their way into God's favor. Rather, they know it is by God's grace, his love, his mercy, his goodness, that they receive what they have always instinctually desired, a direct connection to the one that made them. The road to destruction, however, is wide and easily taken. Now, destruction in this context is talking about eternal separation from God. Revelation 21.8 continues on with what we just read. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the polluted, the murderers, the fornicators, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all the liars, I think it's just a category of anybody who sins, anybody who does not fall underneath God's perfect design, their place will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is an easy and very accessible road because it caters to our pride. Thoughts like, I can do this on my own. I'm a capable person that can figure out and solve my own problems. I am able to create the life that I want. Or the other side of the same coin, I'm a good person. I've really done nothing wrong. I'm far better than Joe or Sally. There's no way that God will cast me away. I'm not that bad. It is so easy for us to remain self-focused, to trust our own logic, emotions, and perceived capabilities. And it's so easy for us to justify our shortcomings, to make excuses, and to minimize the reality of our brokenness. Pride sits at the core of all of us. Out of pride naturally flows a self-sufficient approach to living and a glorified view of self. This is why so many people take the road that is wide and easy. But this choice of trusting oneself leads to destruction because it is impossible for something imperfect to make itself perfect. Another form of logic or philosophy for you. The only way that something broken can be fully healed is if it is in the hands of its creator. So when a person chooses to try to make themselves whole, no matter how hard they try, they will always remain less than God's standard of perfection. Because of their imperfection, they cannot be in his presence, no matter how deeply they desire it. So when their life is done, their eternity to follow will be void of the one who gives life. It will be a forever of loss, pain, sorrow. And our time in the finite has direct impact on our infinite. During this temporary time that we've been given, the one that we choose to trust, our creator or ourselves, has direct and very serious effects on the endless time that lies beyond this blink of an eye. Now for those of you that have chosen to depend on Jesus instead of yourself, the eternity should also have influence on our temporary. Our infinite nature should make us live differently during our finite days. Instead of living out of the filter that this time and place is all we have, we should live out of an eternal perspective. When a person understands and embraces that their life in this earth is much more than the 79.3 years average for Americans and what this time can bring, it has the ability to change everything. 
So three and a half years ago or so, I should have died. I was out rock climbing, being lowered, and the rope ran out of my belayer's device, and I fell 30 or 40 feet down a rocky cliff. At best, I should have been a vegetable or a completely different person that just mumbles as he stumbles around town. Through this very near-death experience, I have seen two very powerful things. One, the existence of God, the reality of him. And two, how momentary our lives are. Anybody else that has been through this or been around people probably understand what I'm talking about. When you see death that close, you understand how real it is. There's three things that I want to talk about that I have learned through this experience that apply to what we're talking about, how the infinite should influence our temporary. The first one, the troubles of this life are temporary. Whether that temporary is a day or a week or a decade or your entire life, in comparison to the amount of time that we will spend in the presence of our creator, it is so temporary. With an eternal perspective, pain and suffering are here today and gone tomorrow. I have found that when you approach your hardship through this lens, it can change the weight of suffering from overwhelming to a slight and momentary affliction. Number two, you are here today for a reason. If you were made by an all-powerful being, then you are alive because he wants you to be alive. You know, the former, former, I guess the former pastor of Rimrock as a whole, Steve Balsley, uh, as he was dying of cancer, used to say, a person doesn't die a day before God wants them to. And when you think about the reality of who God is, his control, there's such truth to that statement. You will not die a day before God plans for your time on this earth to be gone. So no matter how hard or lame today may have been for you, there was a reason why it was given to you. It was intended for a purpose of this day. Now for me, this would be, this would be and still is an overwhelming breath of fresh air. My brain would be so shot, I could maybe talk to somebody for like 20 minutes before I'd have to go take like a three-hour nap. But hanging on to that, that concept, that truth that God has me around for a reason today would bring my focus off of the negative and onto that slight bit of sunshine that he was pouring into my darkened world. To recognize that you have today for a reason can minimize or even obliterate worries and doubts of the purpose of your life. And one of the major reasons that you are alive is to love people the way that you want to be loved. Jesus says that's commandment number two out of all of them. When you see people through the eternal lens, it should help motivate you in this purpose. The people that you are surrounded by every day have a spirit or a soul just like you. In the same way that your finite has direct effects on your infinite, so does theirs. If you have been saved by the power of Jesus, then you have been called to be his ambassador. 
to let those around you know the life that you have found. When you view your life and the life of those around you, the ones that you see day after day through the biblical framework that this life is temporary but has direct influence on the eternity to follow, then it can be a catalyst for you to love them well in order that you can show them the true nature of this life that is both temporary and eternal. A major way we do this is through the influence of God's Spirit. And that's number three. Live out of the Spirit's influence. Understanding your eternity, thinking about your finite, we must live out of the Spirit's influence. When we cry out to Jesus and our souls are purified, we are then filled by God himself. Take a moment to ponder how unfathomable, how illogical that is. But God himself comes and inhabits our heart. That's the deepest parts of who we are, our mind, our emotions, our willpower. Our temporary and our broken minds and bodies become the temple. We have been inhabited and empowered by God's spirit. Even though our bodies will crumble and our eternal existence in the presence of our creator has already begun, we have purpose for today that he wants us to, he wants to fulfill through us. Out of this new style of existence, we have the almighty maker of everything's guidance and grace to love people well. Now, when you understand the temporary and the broken nature of your life, but yet the contrasting power of God within you, think about those. Those should be fully juxtaposed. It should encourage and empower you to seek God's will for the day that he has given you. Instead of believing that your own wisdom and talents can bring life to those you love, you need to understand that your abilities are so limited. But the God that lives within you has the desire and the ability to use you, your talents, your logic, your wisdom, to genuinely, to bring genuine and lasting goodness to this world. It is out of this lens, the one that, the fact that you need to remain dependent on your creator, that everything in this fleeting life turns from momentary and pointless to, in, to eternal and of the greatest importance. I want to end with the Bible. Right? It seems to be the theme of tonight. Paul's view on our finite yet infinite existence, 2 Corinthians. So we do not lose heart. He just explained a bunch of bad things that they're going through. Even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. Because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. For we know that if the earthly tent, our bodies, we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwellings. If indeed when we have taken it off, we will not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan under our burden, because we wish not to be unclothed, but to be further clothed 
so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident. Even though we know that while we are at home in this body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we do have confidence, and we would rather be away from the body at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, our God, our creator. For all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may receive recompense for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Let me pray. Spirit, I just ask you one more time to just heighten something in our minds, in our emotions, in our heart, and just stir something within us that we can walk away from. Tonight, thinking about pondering, put somebody's name or face into our minds that we can love upon, that we can pray for. God, convict us to be your ambassadors. Show us the seriousness of the days that we've been given due to the eternal impact that they have. God, you are so good, and we want to bring your goodness to the world. Please make that happen. Amen.